ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. This is David Grubb, and you are listening to the Hard to Paint Daily Podcast. Thank you again to my man DJ Dow for setting up that beat. I love my intro, um, and uh, I can't thank him enough for doing that for me. So shout out to him. Also, I got to say what's up to my man um, D Squared, Dave DeCorvier, who is my producer um, on the radio show on WODT. And it is so strange kind of doing this without him. You know, that guy was, you know, as a producer, he's like my right hand. So he knew my tempo. He knew exactly when I needed to get out of stuff, get into stuff. And uh, it's just now doing it solo. It's just you notice and and appreciate even more um, what having a great producer, engineer slash alongside um, really does for you. So, uh, again, to remind you to check me out on social media at DM Grub. Or at HITP underscore with underscore DG. Go to my website, HITPwithDG.com. You can get all of my written pieces, my radio, TV, and podcast appearances. There's uh, links to the um, Hard to Paint online shop with some really cool merchandise there. And there's a link to the podcast so you can pick it up and listen to it. Um, whenever you like. So all that's there. So please check out HITP with DG.com. Also shout out to uh, the folks who continued to, to sponsor me, um, particularly BRK Insurance and the Lucky Law Firm for all that they've done for me um, over the last 11 months in particular. So but today is a new day. A lot to talk about. And um Glenn West, the editor at LSU Country for Sports Illustrated, is going to be our guest, and we'll talk about all things LSU and the SEC, um, what could be ahead for the college football season, and what it could mean for LSU in the long term and other schools. So we'll talk about that with Glenn West. But first, we got a lot of other things for me to touch on. Uh, Louisiana High School Athletic Association announced yesterday that no games will be played until the state reaches phase four of its K-12 opening plan. Currently, Louisiana is still in phase two. As uh, we've already discussed, Texas has canceled its high school football season. Um, It's going to be hard to get that done in Louisiana. Certainly, if it can be done in Texas, it can be done anywhere. But we'll see how easy it is for this to get done in Louisiana. As of today, there are no plans to cancel the season. Uh, They expect to play at some point, and uh, we shall see. Again, I think it's it's just a a wrong thing to do at this point to play football. I think it's just wrong. There's no way you can make it work. But they're going to push ahead. And um, we'll continue to monitor the situation. Louisiana had a huge spike again yesterday in uh, diagnosed cases. And um, it's, it's, it's not turning around yet. It's not turning around yet. Um, yes, there is time, but not a lot of it. 
and we are reaching the midpoint of July. By the end of July, these decisions have to be made. The school starts in August, early August here in Louisiana. I'm already really hesitant about sending my daughter back to school, and I probably won't do it until I'm more certain of the conditions. Um, we have not gotten enough information as parents um, on that. And, you know, would you feel comfortable sending your kid? You know, what would you do right now if your employer didn't have a plan in place? You go to work uh, and, and, you know, kids just carry around infections. So and they touch. That's what they do. They're in high school. They're in college. They touch. That's 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 who they are. I mean, you, you, you can't keep kids from you. I don't know what social distancing you're going to put in elementary school unless you're going to keep these kids standing apart from each other the entire day. You're going to have them apart from each other at lunch. You're going to have them apart from each other on the playground. You're going to have them apart from each other. when they. How are you going to socially distance them on the bus? How are you going to socially distance a bunch of kids on the bus? And kids touch everything. So that, and even in the high school, even in high school, Guys go see their girlfriends, whatever. Girls see each other hug. Guys see each other dap each other up. Da, 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 da. You touch. When you're around your friends, you're around, you touch. And so we'll see if they can manage this. But uh, ah. Back to sports, though. Pelicans practice video was released again yesterday. Zion Williamson definitely looks lighter on his feet. Just his ability to get off the ground quickly. Um, and it was already phenomenal. We knew his second jump was one of the most um, powerful in the NBA. And now he looks faster off his feet. You can see he's, there's more definition. You've seen the picture, the Bane picture, as folks want to call it. Um, and you've seen his arms. But if you look at his lower torso, his legs are more defined. They are thinner. And that explosion doesn't have to come from the size of the legs. It's an explosion is, is, is a many things that go into that process. So I think that he's learning with the trainers to get his body into optimum position. You know, uh, so uh, to get all that power and force off the ground, also to use it. To How do you use it and when do you use it? And I like the fact that Zion seems to understand when it's time to dunk it. And when it's time to lay it in. And that is going to be key for him in the long run. And I've mentioned this. Um, please also check out uh, the Bird Calls podcast, which I do with the guys from thebirdrights.com. And I talked about this with them. Zion Williamson is not going to be compared, in my mind, to guys who are much more dependent on their athleticism at certain points in their career. Um, Blake Griffin's name came up and I don't see their games as alike at all because Zion comes into the game of basketball with already the ability to create space with his body, his ability to uh, slide into the paint um, on offensive rebounds, uh, his ability to cut, um, his ability to have a very soft touch around the rim. So he doesn't have to dunk and use his athleticism to get above the rim to score. Over 90% of Zion Williamson's shots take place within 10 feet of the rim. More than 90%. Which is what you want from him. At this phase in his career and for most of his career. That's where you want him to dominate. The paint. Get your points in the paint. 
certainly that will decrease. You're not, he's not over time. There will be things that he'll have to do the pick and pop and knock down the jump shot on those situations. Um, the rare three. Because really, you know, how many threes do you want Zion Williamson to make it per game? The Pelicans have shooting. That was the concern before the season. It is no longer a concern now. Brandon Ingram has shown that he can shoot the three. Lonzo Ball has shown that he can shoot the three. You know J.J. Reddick can shoot the three. Etwan Moore can shoot the three. If Drew Holiday is in a rhythm, he can shoot the three. You have enough guys on the perimeter to create space for Zion Williamson. And there's... More than one way to create space besides shooting. You also do that with ball movement, getting defenses to react, screens, early action um, in transition where he gets a quick post up while the team is filling lanes on the outside. Those are all ways to create space for him to score. So I think Zion is in the right position right now. And because if his body is better, and most importantly his intellect is better, and that's one of the things that he's talked about, is that he spent a lot of time looking at film as well. Um, if he's better as a defender, that's the biggest step for him. And it's the biggest step for any rookie coming into the league. So if Zion Williamson is better defensively and he's better athletically, again, uh, the, the Pelicans are in good shape. Now, my colleague, friend, I guess he's my friend, I guess, Preston Ellis Made sure that I saw the Kenrich Williams highlight reel uh, yesterday on Twitter as well. And I have been open in my criticism of Kenrich Williams. I don't see how he fits into the long-term plans of the New Orleans Pelicans. On a very good team, on a fully healthy Pelicans team, where do you play him? Let's go through the rotation. So if you've got Lonzo Ball, Drew Holiday, J.J. Redick, Etwan Moore, Josh Hart, Brandon Ingram, Derek Favors, uh, Zion Williamson, and who have I missed? That, that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. That's your top eight. I mean, you don't have a lot of place for Cambridge Williams in that, in that, on that roster. And you're still giving minutes to Frank Jackson. And then you're still giving minutes to Jackson Hayes. So that's 10 guys in your rotation. Yeah, Kenrich is all heart. And he's not called Kenny Hustle because he doesn't work hard. But seeing him hit a three in practice video doesn't get me excited. He hadn't hit a three in a game. I think he missed his last 20-something threes in a row. He's just not quick enough to guard threes. He's not strong enough to guard fours. And I don't think he'll be a consistent offensive contributor enough to the point where you're going to pay him long-term. If, if he's willing to take a, another one-year deal, sure, you know, at a very, very inexpensive price, okay. But I would never, never pay for multiple years when you have the draft picks that the Pelicans have coming up and there will be players on the free agent market who are better than Kenrich Williams who will sign for the same price. Guys who are less prone to injury. Look, it's not going to get better for him. When you have people who have bad knees and bad backs and those are the things that he came into this league with, 
They don't get better over time. And he was a four-year player. So he's going to get older. And his legs are not, and his back are not going to get better. I love Kenrich Williams. Um, Kevin Berrios suggested that he'd be an awesome guy, like a transitional guy in the G League to teach guys the Pelican way. And I doubt that he would accept that kind of role. But if the market doesn't bear out for him, that might be a great way to be that guy, to be a two-way guy. Pelicans can pull you up for experience at times, but predominantly you're there to teach. Because I think he is an intelligent player, and I think he can teach the game. But he's just not. If By the time this team gets to be championship ready, there are certain guys that I don't understand making long-term investments in. Frank Jackson, Kenrich Williams, two of them. There, there are better players out there. And you bring Didi Lozada over, and you've seen the video of Didi, and everybody's excited about him. So put him in the rotation. So at the guard position alone, you've got multiple guys who can play the three who are better than Kenrich Williams or have a higher upside. Because Didi Lozada is going to be able to play minutes at the three. Josh Hart plays minutes at the three. When the Pelicans go small, you could see J.J. Redick or Etwan Moore getting minutes at the three. You still even have Darius Miller on the roster, so if he's back, he's, he's going to get minutes at the three. And, of course, you have Brandon Ingram, who's going to get 30-plus minutes at that spot or 28-plus minutes at that spot with a few sprinkled in at the four. But I don't see where there's minutes for him. But it's good to see the team practicing. Again, you hope all is well. Um, the NBA says that only two of 322 players who were tested um, during the quarantine period came up positive. Outside of that period, Russ, both Russell Westbrook and James Harden tested positive for coronavirus. Um, again, for James Harden, a guy who has asthma, I'm sure that's a pretty, um, it was, it's pretty scary. So hopefully he gets back um, to 100% soon. Same for Russell Westbrook. I don't want anybody to get sick from this thing. Um, but it just seems like there are a lot of players um, who this is happening to. Again, the season is 16 days away. 16 days away is when they're going to start playing games. Um, plenty of tea starting to come out of the bubble. So on Twitter, you can go follow that. Go look for bubble tea. And it's already interesting because you see reports of people trying to get into the bubble. Uh, women trying to get into the bubble um, who have said they've been invited by players. Um, you have players who have already breached the bubble, like Rashad Holmes uh, from Sacramento. And I don't know what it is with Sacramento, but apparently they have a real problem with paying attention to coronavirus guidelines. Because whatever it is, if you're in Sacramento, you, your chances of getting coronavirus or getting quarantined are pretty high. Um. We had talked a little bit about the performative nature of what the NBA is doing with putting Black Lives Matter on the court and allowing these certain slogans to be on the backs of the players. It's this list of pre-approved slogans. I did not realize, and because I, I didn't, I don't like this anyway. I think it's a bad idea anyway. But I did not realize that NBA had put limitations such as um, you were not allowed to criticize either China or the police. So nobody could wear a defund the police 
hashtag on the on the back of their jersey. No matter again, it's not I'm not talking about how you feel. I'm just saying what players are not allowed to express. So again, if you're going to put a limit on it and you're going to have to pre-approve it, then why do it? Then why do it? Because now you're saying these are the statements that the league has approved. Well, that's the exact opposite of what this is supposed to be. If you're saying we support the players and you offer me an opportunity to put something on my jersey, then give that to me. If you're if you're going to limit it to certain things. And certain things that are real pertinent discussions. Like I said, if I put stop police brutality, is that a controversial statement? I don't think it is. If it said arrest the people, who, arrest Brianna's killers, is that a political statement? I don't think it is. What politics is that about? I'm not asking anybody to vote for anything. I'm not asking anybody to pick a um, party or candidate. I'm asking them to do the right thing. It's not political. It's not political at all. Do the right thing. If somebody kills somebody, an innocent person, they should be arrested. And so if I wanted to put those messages and the NBA is telling me I can't, why do this at all? It's a waste of time. It's an absolute waste of time. All right, before we do the break and get to the interview with Glenn West, uh, we do have a couple of questions that I got on Twitter from some listeners and followers. And the first one is from B Tejada One, uh, a frequent question supplier for the bird calls. Uh, it gives me three questions. I'll run those down real quick. First, thoughts on the team, the Pelicans charging season ticket holders for 2021 currently i don't think it's right we don't know what next season is going to look like how many games it's going to look like if you had a deposit due on season tickets i mean you do that but i wouldn't be taking accepting full payments for those yet and if the pelicans again the refund it took too long for the refund policy to come out it took way too long for the refund policy to come out and now to be charging for next year again while you are in a city that is dominated dominated by people who work in service industries who work in who are teachers who work in lower middle income to upper lower income jobs who have been really hit hard by all of this and they're the base you're trying to cultivate as your fans, I wouldn't be in a rush to charge those folks. Um, Number two, who do you think should be the first Pelicans retired jersey? Now, if we're talking just the Pelicans, um, then I think that's most likely going to go to Drew Holiday because he will have spent more years ultimately um, than an Anthony Davis uh, did and the way Anthony left, I think, will certainly not allow him to be first. If we're just talking Pelicans, now if you're talking about Hornets slash Pelicans, then I think that person should be David West. And I've written about this before. I think it absolutely should be David West. David West was the first draft pick in New Orleans, 
David West was a two-time All-Star. Um, he set the tone for what that transition from Charlotte to New Orleans really was. Because by the time, you know, we had moved on past the Baron Davis, Jamal Mashburns, as they, as they moved out, and David West became a, bas- a better basketball player. And he got better and better as his, you know, as a rookie, he pretty much ate the bench. But when he and Chris Paul brought together with Tyson Chandler and you get the Crescent City connection and the team that took the Spurs to six games and quite honestly could have beaten the Lakers um, in the playoffs if David West doesn't get hurt in his final season in New Orleans. Uh, I think it, it, it belongs to him. It belongs to him. He held so many of the records when he left. And yes, it's still a very young team. But it took a, a while. Again, it took Anthony Davis seven years to break those records. Most of them. So, yeah. David West belongs in that group. He's not going to be in the NBA Hall of Fame. But I think he deserves the honor of being the first Pelicans play, Pel- Hornets slash Pelicans players jersey retired. There are only four right now that we're even talking about. And it's David West, Chris Paul, Anthony Davis, and Drew Holiday. That's it. So those are the four that would be on that list. And if it were me, it would go, you know, based on, first you got to take care of David West. And then I think you just go in order. Because Chris Paul is going to be a Hall of Famer. Or I would, uh, okay, let's do West Holiday. Then Chris Paul. Because I think Chris Paul takes a lot of bad rap. And I don't just say that because we both went to Wake Forest. I, 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 Chris Paul's exit from New Orleans was not of his doing. It was not of his doing. He asked to leave, but yeah. The team had no owner. George Shin was a cheapskate. Broke up the team when it was could have... Again, he gave up on Tyson Chandler and David West, who went on to have a, a lot more left in the tank than he thought. Tried to get rid of Tyson Chandler one time. Tried to send him to Oklahoma City. Got him back, then gets rid, lets him go. Let's David West go. Chris Paul said, I see the signs on the wall. I'm out of here. So I think Chris Paul's gotten a bad rap. His jersey should be up there. So let's do it that way. So of the four right now, it goes West, Holiday, Chris Paul, and then eventually Anthony Davis. It's not going to be the most fun, but by then probably we'll be over uh, most of the spite for AD. Um. And then lastly, yeah, just for fun, if you had to read into J.J. only having a seasonal lease, what would be your comment on that? J.J. Reddick owns property in, you know, New York. It was in Brooklyn. Nice property. I'd, I'd be leasing, leasing my property in New Orleans, too. I may not want to live in that same spot next season. His career is at the, he's nearing the end of his career. Why would you buy? Why would you buy? Lease, man. You might find something better. You might find something cheaper or something, you know, whatever. He's, he's going to be here. It, like, again, you take these situations one t- moment at a time. JJ's 34, 35 years old. So, yeah, I wouldn't be buying anything in, in New Orleans or in the New Orleans area. So not if I'm him. Now, if you're a young guy. Now, if you saw, like, Lonzo leasing, if he was in the, in the city and leasing or BI leasing, I'd be a little more concerned. Yeah, I'd be a little more concerned. But for for JJ at this stage in his career, 
He's he has a home. This is where he does his work. He's going to be a part of the community, but this is where he works. I just I wouldn't be worried about it. Uh, last question from Preston Guy, who uh, does great stuff over at Tiger Bait. Uh, many fans are acting like the Pels are guaranteed to make the playoffs despite being three and a half ga- games behind with eight games left. How realistic is it actually that the Pels make the playoffs? Right now, put their odds. I mean, you, you'd have to give them a better than 50-50 shot. And I'm at the point now where I'm willing to give them 60 to 75% of a shot. Because when I look around them, A, I think that their schedule has gotten easier um, based on uh, what other teams have lost. So when you look at a San Antonio to not have um, LaMarcus Aldridge available to them, to not have LaMarcus Aldridge available to him, I, the, to them, I think is a big hit. The Jazz are missing <clears throat> Joe Ingles, who has torched the Pelicans frequently. They're missing Bogdanovich who had 31 points and no assists against the Pelicans. The Pelicans are 2-0 against the Grizz, so they get another matchup with them. The Wizards are missing uh, Davis Bertans. They're missing John Wall. I don't think that they're really in it. You know, that they want to... I mean, they're... Nobody's... You know, the Wizards, whatever. The Kings... They might all they get two games against the Kings and both of them might, you know, who knows who will be playing for the Kings at that point. Then you get the Clippers and the Clippers are not worried anymore about playoff position. Because what is home court advantage? There's no home court advantage anymore. So what does that mean to them? Their key is we want to make sure we're healthy. We want to make sure that our best player, Kawhi Leonard, is healthy and ready to go. So they're going to be using a lot of these as tune-up games. And then you get the Orlando Magic in their final game. The Magic could be long since eliminated by then. So the Pelicans, the schedule is set up again. Do I think it'll be easy? Because we don't know. Because we don't, it's, there's so many unknowns. But do I give them a strong chance of doing it? Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And I, I wouldn't be surprised in the least if they do. All right. So we're going to take this break. And on the other side, I'll be interviewing Glenn West from LSU Country for Sports Illustrated. This is Hard to Paint with David Grove. Like the gooch disappear, that moose, you whack to me. Take them rhymes back to the factory. I see the gimmicks, the whack lyrics, the shit is depressing. Welcome back to Hard to Paint. Uh, I am with my guest now, Glenn West, who is the editor over at uh, LSU Country for Sports Illustrated. He does a fantastic job over there covering the Tigers and every facet of the LSU program. Glenn, I'm so glad to have you with you. You were a great guest on on our radio show, and I'm glad we can do this now on the podcast. Yeah, look, I'm so excited that you're having me on, man. I know that the radio show was a, a big deal to you, and it was always a pleasure when you guys had me on. So I'm, I'm happy to carry on in any kind of way that we can over here. So happy to be a part of it. Thanks so much. Now, it's been a tough weekend, to say the least, for college football um, yep. over the last few days. First, you have the Ivy League shut down completely. Then you have the announcement that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are going to conference-only schedules. The ACC looks like it's going to do the same. Um, they're trying to figure out 
what exactly they want to do. Then you, so now we're left with the Big 12 and the SEC. The SEC is meeting to, um, Monday. Uh, all the conference athletic directors are in Birmingham. I don't think any decisions get made, but how close do you think we are to the SEC at least making some major announcements as far as its fall schedule? Yeah, you know, I, I think it'll probably come here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, you know, this, this, this whole virus is just so fluid and, and things just change daily. They change hourly. And, and I think that, you know, you, what you'll probably see today is not big decision making out of the SEC, um, you know, from their athletic directors and from the conference itself. Uh, I think more likely what you'll probably see, and actually uh, our colleague over at SI, Ross Dellinger, who writes for the SI national site, does a great job. Uh, he, he said this morning that, you know, I think some of the smaller issues are going to be tackled today. You know, I think coming in, this this there's a meeting that was planned, uh, you know, two weeks ago. And so they this was when, obviously, the, the prospects of a season still look pretty good. Um, so I think what they're tackling today is more of the in-season stuff, you know, kind of what, what the protocols will be. Uh, as far as testing and as far as um, uh, just just making sure the players are as safe as possible uh, once the season, if, if a season happens, I think those are some of the issues that are going to be tackled today. Um, they, they obviously ultimately could decide to obviously go conference only, um, uh, but I, I wouldn't expect probably that decision to be made for a couple weeks. The SEC has really said from all, all from the beginning that they're going to wait as long as possible to kind of drag this out and see. Uh, if they can salvage, you know, any kind of a season this fall. The difficulty for the SEC compared to some of these other conferences, though we, we know the nation is seeing levels and test, um, positive tests increase, Texas is a hot spot. Florida is a hot spot. Texas has already canceled high school football. Um, you know, so some of the worst, and now even Louisiana, big spike in cases over the last week. This is, this is the heart of SEC country. Um, where the worst of this is right now, what are your thoughts um, on the likelihood of there being a 2020 season? Yeah, I mean, you know, if you'd asked me that question two weeks ago, I would have told you it was probably pretty good that we were going to have a season this year. Um, but in the last two weeks, man, we were just talking about it before we came on here. You know, Florida had a spike of 15,000 people yesterday that, that I I didn't know about. I mean, I, I just heard about it from you, but like that – that's super damaging. I mean, you got Florida there, you got, you know, Georgia, who's a neighboring state that they're all open, but you know, cases are continuing to spike in Georgia. They're continuing to spike obviously here in Louisiana where LSU is. Um, I, I think it just grows more and more likely by the day that, that, you know, my confidence level just kind of drops. And uh, I think that's kind of where uh, a lot of people are right now. I think, um, you know, for some of these head coaches, what they've been doing is just keeping, you know, keeping, you know, business as usual but I think that at some point they're going to have to come to the realization too that this this isn't looking likely I think uh at the best case scenario that you could see right now is probably uh the season being pushed back to October or November um and and then but then obviously that creates a whole new slew of problems because it's right in the heart of flu season so uh there really just doesn't seem to be a, a win-win scenario at this point but um you know, I, I think I've my, my confidence level right now that if the season starts on time is probably less than, than 25%. I just yeah, don't see it happening. The science is getting pretty interesting because I read an article in The Ringer last week and it talked about the fact that there is basically an inevitability that if 15 to 24 year olds are exposed to each other, that there will be deaths. And we know high school, college kids are known for touching, you know, 
<laughs> you know, they, they congregate in groups. This is what they do. Um, yeah. what, I mean, it's human nature. You yeah. put that in the context of also, they said, people with pre-existing conditions, we know that already, asthma, things like that, that weaken your immune system. I'm sure there are a couple of players who have it. It's a pretty common thing. Yeah. And on top of that, BMI is a huge concern. Um, mm-hmm. Anybody over a BMI of 31 is at a heavier risk. The average college football lineman has a BMI of 34. That's the yeah. average. So, I mean, <laughs> and we know in the SEC, big linemen oh, yeah. <laughs> run the show. Oh, yeah. uh, it, there are a lot of just these things that you can't mitigate, that you can't right. change to make, make it safer. I think Greg Sankey's right when, his, when he says his level of doubt is as high as it's ever been. Yeah, no, I, I think so. And, you know, I think, you know, part of, you know, not only that, but the part of, the, you know, the testing is going up, but also the percentage of positive tests is going up. And I think that's what's most concerning uh, is that, you know, yeah, we're having an increased amount of testing, but the percentage of positive tests are increasing as well. Um, so, you know, like you said, I mean, I, I you know, like you, Texas, you know, deciding not to go with, through with high school sports yet. Um, Louisiana, I'm sure that decision will be made here in the next week or two as well. Um, I think, you know, obviously uh, another aspect of this is JUCO. Uh, last, last week, JUCO decided that they're going to push all their fall sports to the spring and not worry about it. And that, that has a huge effect on recruiting because, you know, as LSU knows, you know, uh, yeah. JUCO uh, is, a, is a huge deal for them. You know, they got Jabril Cox this year, who's supposed to be a big-time starting linebacker. Uh, actually, no, he was not a JUCO player, That's but they, they, they've dipped into the JUCO pool before. And uh, Damian Lewis is a, is a perfect example, actually. He was the right guard for years. Uh, he, he was a JUCO guy. Um, so, you know, I think there, there's just so much uncertainty right now. I think we'll really start to get kind of a clearer picture here in the next week or two. Um, but I, I would imagine that all the conferences, you know, by the end of July have announced they, they will go to all conference only. And then, then it's just about when, when will this thing start up? And I think that's kind of the, the two big hurdles they have to answer right now. When you talk about recruiting and the impact that this could have on that, let, let's, let's play out the worst case scenario. Let's say that, that the whole season is ended and it's just there's not going to be a 2021 uh, 20, season at all. LSU has done so much in recruiting for the 2021 season. If you have to redshirt, essentially, your entire team for a season, yeah. what does that mean? Potential. Oh, I mean, like the thoughts of what it means for recruiting around the country. Yeah, are just insane. Yeah, it's 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 a headache for sure. I think um, you know, obviously, one of the contingency plans that they're they're thinking about is also pushing the season back into the spring. And I think you know, obviously, if you do something like that, you know, some of those higher level players that are on those rosters, you know, the Jamar Chases, the Terrace Marshalls, the Tyler Sheldons of the world, they they, they probably likely won't want to play uh, with the NFL draft coming up. So. I think that's something that also needs to be brought to the attention. But as far as, you know, recruiting goes, um, you know, LSU has done a phenomenal job with these recruits, you know, uh, through Zoom calls, through just making sure that they all feel, you know, comfortable with, with, with LSU and, and making sure that they're building those relationships. Um, but again, if they don't have a season this year, uh, you'd have to imagine that the NCAA would allow for some kind of leniency about roster size and, and just, you know, because you're going to be bringing in a whole bunch of guys uh, that, you know, are going to add to already the existing underclassmen that you have that, that, that w- wouldn't have started there. You know, what happens with the 20 freshmen that are on campus right now? Do they get a, 
you know, an, an extra year to, you know, uh, for, for college, you know, through uh, redshirting. Um, if, if there's no season, I mean, there's just so much that's unknown right now. I just, you know, it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around, but I think, you know, really the more immediate problems are just figuring out if, if even a season is possible this fall. And so I think that's what, that's what obviously they're, they're focusing on right now. One of the controversies that has been going on in college football is the issuing of waivers to student athletes. Um, to, 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 the, to my word, to my knowledge at this point, LSU has not done that. Do, have they? No, I don't think they have. No, I think Ohio State was really the big program that, that, that made their players sign waivers. Um, but I, I don't think LSU has. No, not at this time. And how involved um, has the LSU, the Board of Regents, the university president, been uh, with Scott Woodward in talking about uh, the, you know, this process um, and the question of that, that is starting to rise up too is, is if students aren't going to be allowed on campus for any portion of the fall, then how can you have student athletes on campus during the fall? Yeah, and I, I, I think that's, that's a question that still needs to be answered. You know, I think that from really the, the start, I think from, from, you know, May, June, I remember all the reporting that was coming out, you, you, you can't have a college football season without college students on campus because then you're not treating these athletes like amateurs, you're treating them like, you know, paid professionals, essentially, and they're not getting paid. So, you know, I think uh, that's, that's certainly a topic that needs to be uh, discussed as well. Uh, as far as what the president has, has, has uh, and his relationship with, with Scott Woodward and how they're working together, that's something I'm just, I'm not totally sure on right now. Um, I know that Scott Woodward is working uh, very, very closely with, with SEC and with Commissioner Greg Sankey. They have a great relationship and you know, the, the SEC protocol for when they initially brought players back was what was what LSU was planning to do. And so they the SEC enacted essentially that policy as far as voluntary workouts and what the safety regulations look like. So I know that LSU is going to have obviously a big hand in, in what kind of comes with these next few weeks. I think from the SEC's perspective, I think that Greg Sankey listens to Scott Woodward and his, you know, his thought process a lot. And so uh, I think that'll be certainly a, a, a positive from, from the LSU perspective to make sure that, you know, we're, you know, doing things the right way. And uh, then the SEC is obviously closely uh, following uh, what Woodward has to say. On the revenue side, mm -hmm. we know football is a huge driver for the program. You know, programs like Ohio State generate up to $200 million a year in football. LSU not far behind that. Um, you know, the Big Ten and the SEC, the two richest um, conferences in all of football, but if LSU takes a $100 million hit, what does this mean for potentially the rest of the athletic program? We've already seen Stanford, one of the wealthiest programs in the, in the country, one of the top programs year in and year out across the board, cut 11 sports. We're seeing programs, other programs cutting sports. That has to be on the table for a state school like LSU, which has already seen significant budget cuts from the state over the last few years. Yeah, I, I think it probably would be on the table. I, I, I do know that LSU has, you know, a lot of uh, just, just money, you know, from boosters and, and stuff of that nature that I think they would be able to keep most of their sports afloat um, But if there was no college football season. But uh, I go back to kind of what, what Ross you know, Dellinger was saying even this morning was that, you know, LSU may be okay, but there are a, there's so many other schools. I mean, there's only a handful of schools that can say that they are programs, uh, departments that can say that, you know, with no college football, that they, they will be okay, that that will be fine. Uh, I think, 
out of 130, you know, fo you know, football uh, programs and FBS schools and, and universities in the country, uh, I would probably say maybe 10 or 15 would be okay with no college football this season. And then the rest would just be scrambling, honestly, just because that's kind of what they are anyway. They scramble to make ends meet uh, to be able to keep all of these, uh, these schools afloat and these different programs afloat. So uh, another, another point that Ross made um, this morning was, that a lot of these Division two and Division three schools have actually had to consider shutting down school, not just their programs and their athletic departments, but just schools in general, because the, the sporting uh, uh, part of it just, just makes up so much more of their money. And um, so I think that's that's another problem <laughs> that's, that's got to be hashed out here. I mean, it's just, it's it's a plethora of issues that, that really we don't have a whole lot of answers for. And, you know, two months, you know, less than two months away from a season, that's, that's not, not a good sign. No, I mean, because I, I don't think folks understand, you know, how much goes into financing an athletic program, student fees, which if students are not on the campuses, they're not going to want to pay. And right. we've already seen that backlash from a lot of schools about that. And we talk about these budgets. This really is a crossroads for the NCAA, and, and it's survival, quite frankly, because I could see if the Power Five schools figure out that they can live without the NCAA, that this could be the first domino to them, especially knowing that the challenge for athletes and wanting to get paid, I wouldn't be surprised if the Power Five says, we can step away, create our own rules. We, we really want to play each other anyway and mm -hmm. you know, ensure those spots in playoffs and things like that and keep that money going in with this group. I think the NCAA is, is, is at that point where this could be the, the tale of whether or not it, it survives another 10 to 20 years. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I certainly get that point. And I, I think that one of the big the big money makers, though, obviously for, for every, you know, from athletic department to, to the NCAA is the NCAA tournament, March Madness. And, and, and so I think that, um, you know, that that's certainly um, something that, uh, you know, you, you can't replicate that if the Power Five conferences were to kind of go away from the NCAA. I'm not sure what the, obviously, the regulations would look like as far as letting those conferences into the you know that their own their you know the March Madness tournament so and and that's a huge part of the the, the income for a lot of these uh, athletic departments and also the NCAA every year because of the huge TV contracts just, there's no way around it um, but you know I, I think uh, obviously at the end of the day football rules the world and you know we're going to have to see here what what can happen um, over the next week or two. I think we'll we'll certainly get maybe a couple of hints at decision making. You know throughout the next couple of days that we'll we'll certainly uh, want to keep you know keep the public in tune on as far as the SEC is concerned. And uh, you know I think uh, the Pac-12 obviously is also considering moving. Uh, they they made that announcement last week as well. Um, the ACC, the Big 12, and the SEC still haven't really officially confirmed anything, but. Uh, you'd have to imagine that those decisions are going to be coming here in the next uh, week or two. Let's end on a couple of notes. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Like you said, Ed Orgeron has still done a fantastic job in recruiting, uh, nailed another recruit over the weekend. Uh, the 2021 class is up to 16 members. It's shaping up to be a very well-rounded class, um, especially right. he's attacked those positions of need. Yeah, absolutely. I think receiver and defensive line have been the two positions he's really gone after, and they, they've come away with some great, great young players. Um, you know, as far as receivers go, uh, they've really attacked speed, I think, uh, more so than anything. They brought in uh, Deion Smith, 
Jojo Earl, and then uh, the, the kid from Zachary, Chris Hilton, is now joining. Those are all top 100 players on 24/7. Uh, they're they're fast, they're electric, they're they're kind of those you know hybrids between you know slot roles, and then they can also put them out on the outside because they are physical. They're physical speed runners, and so I think that 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 was obviously a huge plus to get those guys. Um, the defensive line, like you said, are, uh, it, it's just been a, a great, great haul for them so far. They've uh, landed a couple guys from Texas. Landon Jackson uh, is the first name that comes to mind for me. Uh, obviously, they stayed in state with Savion Jones, who's uh, a big-time defensive end as well. And, and they're still in the mix for a bunch of guys, too. I mean, LSU, uh, they most uh, – I think of all the, the 16 prospects that they've gotten so far, I believe 13 of them are four stars or higher. And, um, you know, uh, I think now the next step is to make sure and try to lure in a couple of those big five-star kids. Uh, you know, you look at uh, Mason Smith out of Terrebonne here. I think that's a high-priority player for them. Uh, Sage Ryan, the safety out of Louisiana, he's uh, – I can't remember exactly which high school he goes to, but he's another, you know, top 50 player in the country that I'm sure they would love to have uh, come, come join. Uh, so, you know, Orgeron is, you know, He's done a fantastic job of, like, like we said earlier, you know, making sure that these players feel like they're wanted and, and, and making sure that even though they're not able to get on campus, giving them that familial feel to the, the culture of the program. And uh, that's something that uh, they, they've done a fantastic job of and that I would assume continue to do a great job of uh, in the next couple of weeks and months. And lastly, um, in what is sure to be the first of many honors, um, around the city of Baton Rouge for uh, Heisman Trophy winner, national champion, greatest quarterback in program history, Joe Burrow. He's got a street named after him already. Yep, he's got a street. He's probably going to have a statue one day. And, uh, you know, I mean, look, that, that, that season was just remarkable. I don't think anybody can can knock it as the greatest college football season uh, that we've ever seen from, from, from a quarterback. I think that it's certainly right there with the best of them. And, He's very deserving of it. Um, you know, uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens with his with his career and just kind of what happens, you know, to start with the NFL and, and whatnot. But there's certainly no doubting that Joe Burrow could probably open up a, 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 anything he wants down here in Baton Rouge and it's going gonna, it's gonna to take off. And I'm sure he's going to be a part of the community moving forward. That was one of his goals, you know, after he left. Is, you know, he says he's, he's not going anywhere. He's going to stick around the community and try to help out as much as he can. And uh, that'll, that'll certainly be uh, a welcome uh, site for a lot of the, the LSU fans who have been looking for that, you know, kind of quarterback that, you know, is, is just uh, an all-around all great guy and just wants to stick around and be, be a part of that community. Yeah, I, I do want to say this about Joe Burrow. He's been outspoken about the social justice issues in this country. He's been active in setting up food banks, both in his hometown and yeah. in other places. Um, clearly the reports out of Cincinnati have all been outstanding. Um, just even in distance, his, his rapport with his teammates has been there. There's something extra about this guy. I, I don't know if it means he'll be an all pro quarterback in the NFL. It's too early to say any of those things, Yeah. but as a person, there's something extra about Joe Burrow. Yeah, absolutely, and that, that's a perfect way to, to, to say it right there. there it's, it's just that, that, that extra, you know, kind of just, I think, ability to relate to everybody is something that he, he does so well. Um, you know, he talked a lot about this last season of how he was able to really get in with the LSU football team because of his relatability and his ability to, 
get to know his teammates and his coaches on a personal level. And, you know, I think that's something that you've seen carry on into the NFL. I mean, even his, his offensive coordinator, his coaches, his teammates and at the Bengals who really haven't met him. They just Zoomed with him and talked and texted. They've already talking about him as being a leader of this team. And that, that I think that just shows to the personality that he is and the kind of guy he is. And, you know, we'll see. Uh, you can set the table, and it doesn't mean that it's always going to be great dinner, but uh, I think he set himself up well here to have some success in the NFL, and we'll see just exactly what he can do at the next level. Yeah, I hope we see it sooner rather than later. He's got some yeah. great weapons offensively. Oh, yeah, Madden. absolutely. If they run this right, he can put up points in year one. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to seeing him. Yeah, absolutely. I agree completely. I, I can't wait to see. It. I want to see some kind of sports. You know, we got, we got the NBA coming up here, and hopefully the NFL. Uh, don't know about college football, but we'll we'll certainly see here in the next couple of weeks. But uh, I'm looking forward to getting some sports back for sure. Lynn, I appreciate you coming on um, and being one of my first few guests on the podcast. Please tell the folks again how they can follow you and uh, what you got working for this week. Yeah, I mean, you guys can follow us over at um, si.com slash college slash LSU. Uh, we got some great stuff coming, um, you know, as far as just keeping you guys uh, in tune with what's going on with the SEC and 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 everything LSU. I mean, uh, you know, we're, we're 24-7. We got stories going up every day, and that's that's something that, that we, we take a lot of pride in. We're trying to make sure it's good quality content. And, uh, you know, if you guys want to give us a follow over there, that'd be great. Um, so. Thanks so much again for having me on, Grub. We can do this many times as you want, man. I love having you. I love uh, being on your show, and, uh, you know, we'll hopefully talk soon. It seems like it's just – I mean, it's funny. I, you know, it's been – we've known each other for what? I want to say four or five years now? Yeah, a couple Yeah, a couple years. I, I, don't, I don't think I kind of introduced myself until a couple years into right. my tenure with the Reveille. With, uh, <laughs> but, yeah. We we've, we we certainly became bonded through our Pelicans love, and now it's obviously gravitated to and all, all, all the guys in the room. We yeah. all oh yeah, no absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, yeah, 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 yeah. It's always great to have somebody that you can talk eye level with, and that, that, that's kind of hard. That's hard for me uh, these days. So, all right, man. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thank you once again to my guest, Glenn West. You can find his website address and social media handle in the pod description. Also, thank you for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast, rate it, and visit HITPwithdg.com for everything I'm doing all in one place. Until tomorrow, I'm David Grubb, and this has been Hard in the Paint.